This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. This week's sermon is by Father Brett Kroll and is part two of our Why Church series. All right, fill in the blank. The few, the proud. Oh, the few, the proud. Okay, there we go. I'm not used to participatory sermonizing here at Resurrection. When you watch a Marines commercial and you see those soldiers doing intense things in amazing places, surrounded by some pretty incredible, and if I may say, cool machinery, it stirs the heart. Even if you will never be a Marine, and maybe even if you're a pacifist, you still might be stirred by desire to be a part of something special, unique. All of us long to be a part of something special and have something special to do. I think that's how God made us. And if you want to be a part of something special, then there is nothing more special than to be a part of the church. Let me say that again. If you want to be a part of something special, there is nothing on this earth that you can be a part of that would be more special than being a part of Christ's church. Earlier today, we had youth confirmation. In the First Peter passage, it's simply the, the lectionary text for this Sunday, but as I was looking over the passage, I said, well, that's perfect for youth confirmation because the whole point of this passage is to say, when you say yes to Jesus, when you come to him and believe in him, you are instantly made a part of something so special, and you are given something very special to do. So today, I simply want to talk about, as we look at First Peter, how Jesus invites us to share in his eternal priesthood, which is that call to be a part of something special. And by extension of that call to be a part of something special, we each have something special to do. So turn with me in your bulletins or in your Bibles there to 1 Peter. You are part of something special when you believe in Jesus. Being in the church means that you are part of something special because first and foremost, Jesus makes it special. As you come to him, Peter says there in verse 4. As you come to him, Peter calls him the living stone, chosen by God and precious in his sight. Jesus is in fact the cornerstone, the most important stone in the whole foundation. Because the cornerstone... It was the first stone that's laid in a foundation, and it has to be perfectly square because all of the other stones will line up to that stone. That stone must be perfect. It is the most important one. And if you follow Jesus, you are aligning your life along with all the other living stones here in the sanctuary. You are aligning your life to Jesus, the cornerstone. Behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. All right, going to go on a little tangent here. Uh, you all know what narcissism is, right? Narcissism, just incredibly uh, thinking more of yourself than you need to. Let me uh, give you an illustration. So the other day I was driving and I saw a seven or eight-year-old daughter or young woman out walking with her dad, or maybe it's her grandpa, but she had on this t-shirt, emblazoned across the t-shirt, me plus this shirt equals awesome. <laughs> I really saw that t-shirt, it, it's really out there, and if you didn't know what narcissism was before, that's the definition. Me 
plus this t-shirt. It equals, I'm guessing the t-shirt's not holding up a lot of the awesomeness in that <laughs> equation. Probably not in, in her understanding. But narcissism can be very dangerous, right? It can damage or even ruin marriages or friendships or any relationship for that matter. It can undermine your career and simply make your life and the life of everyone else around you miserable. So you might wonder, with all this language of chosen, royal priesthood, or even the language I'm using of being a part of the most special thing you could be a part of, is there a danger of indulging this narcissism? And it's true, Christians absolutely can fall prey to narcissism. I know that personally, I know that because um, I talk with people and pastor people, and we're, we, yes, we're human. We can fall prey to narcissism. However, when you become a Christian, one of the first things that you understand is that, oh yeah, it's not all about me. In fact, it's all about Him, Jesus, the cornerstone. There is another who is greater than I. He is the chosen and precious one. For me, I'm simply humbled and grateful to be a part of that. After learning that it's all about Jesus and not about me, then the second thing you learn as a Christian is that I need to be putting others first, ahead of myself, loving others. Uh, just prior to the text that we read in, in 1 Peter comes this call, love one another earnestly from a pure heart because you've been born again. So to love one another and put others first, it's in the DNA of being Christian that we don't have to worry about being narcissistic. And when we put Jesus first and others before ourselves, then we can receive the dignity of this royal priesthood without so much of the danger of our, our egos being inflated. Because he is the living stone, you are made living stones. Because he is the great high priest, you share in his priesthood. Because he is the chosen one, you are now the chosen ones. It is all about Jesus. But you really do have a part in this royal priesthood. So again, back to verse 4. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house. Now where it says, you yourselves, why does it double itself? Why does it say you yourselves and not just you're being, being built like living stones? It's intentionally giving emphasis to say you, yes you, even you, every one of you share in this ministry of the royal priesthood. Now here at Church of the Resurrection, we do have a value on leadership, we believe in spiritual authority, and that this authority does have a kind of hierarchy to it. As Americans, we're allergic to hierarchy, but when we look into the scriptures, it's undeniable. We just look and we see it's there. It's part of the design of how God means for his church to be. So if you've been with us for any amount of time at Resurrection, you, you've probably seen that that works itself out. It plays itself out in our church and in our life together. That being the case, it probably can't be said too often that this teaching set forth here by the Apostle Peter, this teaching about being a part of the royal priesthood, it is for each and every one of us. Yes, we believe in a hierarchy for the functionality of the church, but we believe in the priesthood of all believers. Every single one of you, you are 
priests, which means you're set apart by God, consecrated to do his work in the world. I hope that's encouraging to you. It's what we we're trying to get at when we say equipping everyone for transformation. And truly, this is for anyone and everyone who believes in Jesus. You know, earlier I mentioned the Marines. Well, not everyone can be a Marine. At minimum, you have to be physically very strong. Now, once upon a time, I used to be cardiovascular, as far as cardiovascular fitness, I, I was decently fit. But I've never in my life been massively muscular. Hard to believe, I know, but it's true. I could never be a Marine. But everyone who believes in Jesus is part of the royal priesthood, part of something special. But there's another side to this imitating Jesus and sharing in his priesthood. Recall our text, which says Jesus was chosen by God. Yes, he was chosen by God, but rejected by men. Being a part of this something special also entails facing the rejection of others because of our faith. It may sometimes mean you will be unliked for being a Christian. People will feel uneasy or weird about you. Look at the last line of verse 6. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. If you believe in Jesus, you will not be put to shame. Why does Peter need to include that in his quote? He's talking about Jesus, the cornerstone, chosen and precious. Why does he also need to say, and if you believe in him, you will not be put to shame? Well, it's because Peter, in this letter, he's writing to Christians who lived in a context not too different from ours. The particular recipients of this letter were probably not facing massive persecution. Persecution in this time in the Mediterranean world at this point in history against Christians, it would more break out here and there in pockets. It would flare up and then die back down. But they were constantly rubbing up against this kind of cultural uneasiness around Christians. We see this evidence later in the letter when he says, The time has passed when you do what the Gentiles were doing, living in sensuality and passions and drunkenness and, and the like. With respect to this, unbelievers are surprised when you do not join in the same flood of debauchery. And they malign you. They insult you. And later on, he says, if you are insulted for Christ, that is glory. As we read around the whole letter, we get a sense that these are Christians who are suffering at least some kind of mild persecution for being followers of Jesus. They're simply unliked. And if we read in this text that Jesus was rejected by almost all of the important people, right? The text says the builders rejected the stone. The builders are the ones who look at the stones and say, where's that perfect stone that will be the cornerstone? Nope, not that one. Nope, that one. Ah, here it is. And it says the builders, the one who were supposed to know the perfect stone when they saw it, the important ones, they rejected Jesus. And as, as we are seeking to imitate Jesus in his priesthood, so too we need to let go. And man, we'll find freedom when we do. We will find more and more freedom when we let go of the need to be liked, the need for the approval of others, and that fear 
of being unliked or insulted for the name of Christ. And that's a real thing. It's why Peter encourages the Christians and says, if you believe in this rock, in this cornerstone, you will never be put to shame. Because he knows that in reality, we will be put to a kind of shame. We will endure some kind of shame in the eyes of the world. But he's saying, but not in the eyes of God. Rejected by men, chosen by God. And if we are imitating Christ in his priesthood, we can expect the same. And the sooner we accept that reality, the easier it will be to get along in this world, doing what God has called us to do with confidence, not worried about what others think. So the world around you may reject you, but you are a part of something so special that even the rejection of you by the entire world could not capsize or overturn the deeper and much more lasting significance of being chosen by God. You are chosen by God. You're a part of something special. And secondly, you have something special to do. So if you are a part of the church, you're part of this royal priesthood, then priests have things they do. They have a function that they do, and you have something important to do. If you look again to verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you. I want to tell you why my God is so good. I want to tell you what my God is like. You, you might not actually know what Jesus is like. I want to tell you with my words, yes, also with my life. I want my life to show you what Jesus is like because how is the world going to know what Jesus is like if they don't see him in us and if they don't hear from our lips about the excellencies, why he is worthy of our praise, why he is worthy of our entire lives. So you have a story to tell to proclaim his excellencies, why he's worth laying someone else's life down for. You have a story to tell, and it's about what Jesus has done for you. Sometimes when we talk about evangelism or, or sharing our faith, uh, I think it would be really helpful if we expand our understanding of what that means. And it can be as simple as telling the story of what God has done for you. I love Mark chapter 5, where Jesus rose with his disciples across the lake to this kind of barren region. It's a, it's a mostly Gentile region. And there he encounters a man who's filled with demons, too many and strong. No one is able to control this man, this Gerasene demoniac he is called. But Jesus frees him. He sets him free, and everyone is amazed and slightly terrified. And at the end of the story, Remember, the man comes up to Jesus as Jesus and the disciples are getting in the boat to go back to the other side of the lake, and he says, I want to go with you. Please let me come with you. And Jesus says, no, but go back to your hometown, go back to those Gentile regions, and tell them there what God has done for you. And it says the man went back and told them what Jesus did. That's, that was his testimony. That was his evangelism. It was just saying... Here's where I was. Jesus met me. Here's where I am. Many of us here have a specific story of a time that God rescued us. It might have been a time where you had wandered away from the faith and God in his mercy brought you back. It might be the story of how you were walking completely apart from Christ 
without God and without hope in the world, and somebody reached out to you, God got a hold of you, and you became a Christian. That might be your story. It might be that you were on the brink of financial disaster or in some other kind of really deep, dark pit, and God rescued you. And even if that was 20 years ago, that's your story to tell. For me, it was some time ago, I was a young man, and even though I was a Christian, and even wanting to do ministry, there, there was a season in my life, it was, it was brief, but it was acute, where I was disobedient to the Word of God, directly disobedient. And I knew it. I knew what I was doing. And in that time, God deeply humbled me, deeply humbled me. And when I repented, He forgave me of my sin. And I knew the mercy and the kindness and the good news of Jesus Christ. And now I have a story to tell. And that was over a decade ago. That was 13 years ago, but that's still my story. But it's also great for us to, to keep tabs on what is God doing now in our life. How has God been faithful? How has he shown himself in the last week or two of our lives so that we can be quick to share? Well, here's what God did for me just the other day. One thing that I want to do less and less is complain and grumble and instead be mindful of God's hand in my life so that when people ask me, hey, Brett, how are you doing? Instead of giving a negative response, which is kind of my default, but I know I'm the only one who does that. Instead of giving a negative response, I could say, well, actually, here's something that God did for me. This happened for a friend of mine just a few weeks ago. So John, a good buddy, got married last week. And, and prior to that, as late as two weeks before the wedding, he and his fiance did not have an apartment. They did not have a place to live. That's a problem. And so he was having breakfast with a buddy of his and just kind of shed, shared, man, I'm really nervous. I don't know where we're going to live. We've got a few options. A couple of them we don't really like, but we might have to settle for. There's one that we really are hoping for. And his friend just said, you know what? It's important for you to have a good place to live, a place that you can be excited about, especially for your first year of marriage. And before they ended their breakfast together, that friend just offered a really brief prayer and asked for that apartment. That same day, John found out we've got the apartment. And now John has a story to tell for a few weeks. Here's what God has done for me. So we all have a story to tell. We're watching for how God is at work in our life. And the more that we are steeped in the Word of God, I mean, did you, did you hear verse 2? like newborn infants, and that applies to all of us, whether you're new to the faith or not, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. This is referring to the Word of God. And we know this because the text right before what's printed in our bulletin is all about how the Word of God is enduring forever. The pure spiritual milk, to long for that, to crave that, to know that you need that for your nourishment. The more that you are steeped in the Word of God, the more you will have language to describe to others what God is like. When it talks about those excellencies of God, you'll have language to say, well, let me tell you how it is that He is wonderful, what that actually means. You'll have the language of the Scriptures on the tip of your tongue. And so I encourage our confirmands this morning at 9 to be in the Word daily. And at their stage in life, and this is true for you who are still uh, youth, not yet in the adult working world, you have a gift of time. I know you feel really, really busy. I hate to break it to you. You're only going to get busier and busier and busier as life goes on. 
Now is the time where you have a special gift. Steep yourselves in the scriptures. Drink deeply from those deep wells. You will need it later on in life because as anybody who has grown and managing different responsibilities can tell you, it's hard to get that same kind of time. Now, for those of you who are in that stage of life, it's harder to get extended time where you can steep in the Word of God. I always encourage you with this metaphor. Remember the, the widow's might, the widow who offered her two pennies in the box and said, this is all I've got, but this is what I give. And Jesus said, she gave more than anyone else, even though it was two pennies. Translate that to your time. You may not have a ton of time. You may actually be really, really busy, but give God something every day. Because even though the widow only had two pennies, she did give them. And if she had not given them, there would be no story about the widow and her two pennies. So even if you have little time, be in the Word of God every day. Be steeped in the Word of God, and you will have the language to speak of His excellencies. We all want to be a part of something special. God's made us that way. He's wired us that way. And Jesus has invited you to be a part of the most special thing there is, the church of Jesus Christ. He has called you to share in His royal priesthood, living a life of spiritual sacrifice, that points others to Christ, telling others what God has done for you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.